We've been in Romans chapter 8 for some short period of weeks here. I have to say, we are getting closer to the end. One of the last things I think that I can uh, remind you of is Paul was mentioning how the the Spirit will help us in our weaknesses is something that we have been looking at here in chapter 8. You'll see at verse 26 a reference to the Spirit helping in our weaknesses. Um, this weakness, at least in some part, is an offer of of help and weakness for some people who are a fearful people. There is fear in, in the minds and in the hearts of some of the people who are listening to this letter, these, these Christians in the city of Rome. And it's my desire today to really help you understand where this fear and where this weakness comes from that is being brought to some greater light here in in Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to, just to give us some context, to give us a starting point, we're going to start in verse 26. I'm going to read you a couple of verses and then um, we're going to do a little bit of Review in the book of Romans to help you follow the train of thought that that will really bring to light why this is such a great offer of hope for a Christian. So let's start at verse 26. Chapter 8 and verse 26. He does write, Likewise, the Spirit also does help in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. God's Spirit knows how to pray for what you don't know how to pray for, which is a a profound, hopeful truth. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts... That's the Spirit of God, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. This is a section in the book of Romans here that is meant to strengthen the heart. It is meant to strengthen those who have found grounds for fear and and weakness and uncertainty about their own ability to walk with the Spirit of God. Many who heard this 
call to follow the Lord Jesus here in, in the book of Romans. Many people who have heard this gospel explanation and really this command to trust explicitly the Lord Jesus Christ to to put their faith in Christ as the Savior, to put their faith in Christ as their source of righteousness that is offered in the gospel. Many of the people listening to this are struggling a, a, a dilemma in their conscience. Now, I believe you as Westerners, you and I as people from North America are insulated from some of the battle that's in the conscience of this audience. So in some ways, you and I need a fair bit of help in understanding the dilemma that is on the heart and mind of, of many of the people who are first listening to this instruction. Romans 8 is like in the middle of the book. Ends in 16, started in 1, or in the middle, almost exactly the middle here. And there has been a detailed argument that began in 1. Sorry for you guys who haven't been with us here in these weeks. Um, we are going to do a little bit of review to help you follow along so that you can really get your mind and your heart around what is going on here. <clears throat> the beginning of the argument establishes your guilt. Establishes the guilt of humanity. It's established and it's sealed and, and early in the book of Romans it, it asserts that nobody can be declared righteous. Nobody will be discovered to be righteous. Nobody's going to be righteous before God through their own care and through their own attention to God's standards of, of right and wrong. No man is going to pass that bar. And he labors to make this point in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Here it's summarized in a short statement. He says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Where, 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 is, where is a man's right to assert himself? Where, by what rule, is, is a man denied that? By what law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. We conclude, look at what he says. A man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. There's this rule of the gospel that man's standing before God cannot be affected by your care to his ways. This issue of your faith in Christ being the basis by which you are either approved or disapproved in God, this issue of your faith being the difference is a massive issue in the book of Romans. The law, he says, it cannot change your sinfulness. Now, Jews and Gentiles have different laws. All of you and I are Gentiles, and, and we had laws when we were kids like don't lie and don't steal. 
And as little kids who didn't lie and who didn't steal, it made us feel like we had some ground of standing. It made us feel we were right and approvable and acceptable. Don't lie, don't steal, and we may have even had a few other things. Don't cheat. This is the basis of our understanding of our standing in this realm, this spiritual realm of right and wrong. But what Romans teaches is that the law cannot lift you out of or change your righteousness. these, These standards cannot do it. The law is unable to make you from unrighteous to righteous. The law cannot do that, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. All the rules can do, all the law can do is expose that you're a sinner. And so what that means is, is, is when you covet, when you lie, when you blaspheme, when the, when the light of the law shines on the foul blasphemy or on the covetous heart, when the, when the law shines on that thing, all it does is it helps you go, uh-oh, it found a sinner here, there's a sinner here. It, it saw blasphemy, it found covetousness, it found greed, it found adultery and idolatry. That's what the law has done. The law doesn't turn the unclean into clean. The law exposes the unclean. But this isn't exactly the same thing for the Jewish Torah-believing Christian as it is for you and I. It's not the same thing for the Jew to be considering this idea as it is for you to be considering this idea. Because you and I don't have this Jewish Heritage of centuries of our understanding, our standing before God, that you and I do. The law, the Word of God, searches and exposes your conscience. The law is meant to expose sinners, to draw sinners to Christ. And so I can ask you, even as non-Jews, is, is it doing that in your life? Is, are, are you willing to let the law of God expose you as a sinner to draw you to the Savior so that you rightly seek salvation from your sinfulness? Do you let it do that or do you insulate yourself from it? We all hate being exposed as sinners. We hate it. We don't like it's fine if it's somebody else sometimes. We do not like it when when our unrighteousness, our own uncleanness is exposed. We don't like it. It makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel mad. But I want to ask you, what is your own appetite for truth? What is your own willingness to be exposed by God as a liar, as prideful, as covetous? This is God's holy exposure. And what it is meant to do is to draw you to Christ. It is meant to draw you to the Savior. Draw you to hope. Draw you to the Gospel. We all have secret thoughts. Haunting shame. Hidden meanness. Hidden superiority. And, and, and sometimes you think you hide them by closing your mouth, 
Or maybe you just close them out of your mind. You block the thoughts out of your mind somehow, maybe in a television show or maybe in a book. Or maybe drugs, maybe, maybe medicines and, and drugs keep certain unwanted thoughts at bay. One of the things the gospel teaches us is that you cannot hide the source of, of bitter water. You, you, you can't hide the source of water that's in the well of your mind. You, keep, you can't hide it from the holy, piercing eye of the Lord. You, you, you cannot hide it from Him. And the law is meant to remind you that. The law is meant to help you realize that we are not clean and righteous. Romans 3.21, famous, wonderful, awesome verse, says, Now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and by the prophets. See, there is a righteousness of God held out in the gospel that is not yours. And this is why it's the good news. Romans chapter 3 announces the good news. God's righteousness is now available. You can't make your own, but now the righteousness of God is revealed. And so he says, repent of sin. Believe in the Savior. Find God's forgiveness and righteousness by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ becomes your righteousness. Your guilt of sin placed on Christ. His death for your death as a sinner who deserves death. His righteousness and His eternal life for your unrighteousness and your finite life. Romans chapter 4 introduces the fact that this is by faith. The faith of Abraham and the faith of David. David said, Blessed, this is in chapter 4, flip to it, look at it if you want. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And then he says, Their sins are covered. Blessed are these ones. Their sins are covered. They don't become sinless. You as a Christian don't become sinless. You as someone who is pondering the claims of the gospel shouldn't see Christians as sinless, nor yourself becoming sinless by faith. You see these things covered. Lawless deeds forgiven. And it finally says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Impute means like reckon. Or, or, or count or figure Abraham and David and, and, and the thoughts of David as he communicates this this you should be able to very easily tell this is primarily meant for a Jew because Abraham and David said these things the Jew contemplating Abraham's faith and David's faith. David saying, Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. For the Jew, this is huge. To have Abraham and David say these things is, is, is kind of mind-blowing to the Jew. Abraham had faith in that? 
Abraham's faith is the reason he's declared righteousness. David knows that God will not impute sin. This is David's belief. For the Jew contemplating these these statements of the gospel, this is really huge. It's a Jewish-flavored appeal. Romans chapter 5 speaks about the concept of justification by faith. One of the words I use with you often is righteousification. Righteousified. If somebody was unrighteous, and that's the claim of the gospel, all of us are unrighteous. If you have been righteousified by faith, that means unrighteous has become righteous by faith, not by adherence to the law. And therefore, the believer who has been righteousified, it also says in Romans chapter 5, has been made at peace with God. And this is good news if you had begun to believe that you were not at peace with Him. You have been brought to peace with God by faith. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to the believer and a hope and the glory of God. It also says in 5.3, hope and glory and tribulation. Now, I'm going to help you understand why this is a Jewish concern. Hope and tribulation. Why does he say hope and tribulation? Why does the apostle raise this issue? In chapter 5, there are at least two things made very clear. There are very interesting points made in chapter 5, but there are two things that I believe are really helpful in helping us understand the thoroughness of justification. God does the work of justification thoroughly. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While the sinner is sinning, Christ dies for the sinner. This has to do with justification. It's teaching about justification. It's teaching about the thoroughness of justification. He goes on to say, much more than having now been justified by His blood, the death of the Savior dying is the justification of the believer. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Do you understand how that's an argument? The greatness of justification? The thoroughness of justification? While you were an enemy, while you were a sinner living in sin, while you were content in your sin, while you were oblivious to your sin, Christ dies. If the death of the Son of God can bring you to peace with God as a sinner, if the death of the Savior can bring you to peace while you were a sinner, what would His life mean? If His death can bring you to peace, what will His life mean? It's an argument of lesser to greater worse to better. This horrible thing happens to the Son means your righteousness, means your peace. What will His life mean? If bad turned out to good for you, what will good turn out for you? 
That's the nature of the argument. Romans chapter 5 also clarifies a contrast. And we, we cover this in some depth. It covers the contrast between being in Adam and being in Christ. How many of you were born in Adam? All of us. As one of the teachings in Romans chapter 5, we're born in Adam. And if you're born in Adam, you're born in Adam's sin. And if you're born in Adam, you're born with Adam's guilt. This is the teaching in Romans chapter 5. So the, the contrast made here and what men are, are, are faced with here is they were born in unrighteousness because they were born in Adam. So if they're born in Adam and they're born in their unrighteousness, <clears throat> look at chapter 5 and verse 19 to understand the contrast, the, 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 the emphasis being made in chapter 5 so that you and I would understand the thoroughness of justification. Look at what he says, chapter 5, verse 19, he says, As by one man's disobedience, who has made a sinner? And we could even say all. He says it over and over again in this text. By one man, whose disobedience made you a sinner? In other words, Adam's. Okay? Who was guilty? Adam and all of Adam's children. So, this is the thoroughness of unjustification. It's not a word, I know. This is the thoroughness of your guilt and sin. If you're an Adam, you're guilty. No fair. Unrighteous in Adam. But we're studying justification. If you have put your faith and hope in Christ, the justified are justified. How much? How do you know? Finish reading the verse, 519. As by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. No fair. Some could say no fair. The same math that makes you say it's no fair that I'm guilty in Adam. That same math says you're righteous in Christ. It's, it, it's astonishing. The justification is not based on anything you do. It's incredible. Chapters 1 to 3 unequivocally establishes your guilt, the unquestionable sinfulness of all men, Jews and non-Jews, one to three. All men are under God's wrath, one to three. Whether or not you know God's law, one to three. Adam's race is a people who fall short of the glory of God and God's wrath is revealed from heaven against the unrighteousness and ungodliness of all men. But the righteousness of God is revealed. This is the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. Romans 3.23 All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. 
of sin. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance God passed over sins previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just. He's going to be just. He will keep the rules. He will keep the law. He will be just. And the justifier. He will be legal. He will be fair. And he will justify the one who has faith in Jesus. He makes this point here. We're still working on helping you understand weaknesses and and our need of the spirits strengthening us in weaknesses. He says in Romans 3:28, therefore we conclude a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Whether you're a Gentile lawkeeper who's got his own little laws going or whether you're a Jewish lawkeeper. Now, here's where Here's where you're going to advance and you're thinking on what we're working on here. Ignore the law and be justified. Ignore the law and be justified. That's what we just read, Romans 3.28. We conclude a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Are you saying we ignore the law and become justified? Ignore the law and be made righteous? This is the essence of what he's saying. He's saying you, you're, you're not going to be righteous without or with the law. You're not going to be made righteous with the law. Now, interestingly, I think Americans, people in North America, naturally believe that this is how it's going to work. We are a culture of, of self-made morals and depravity. In, in North America, we have our own grid for right and wrong in, in large Part. We're a country of drug use, we're a country of perversion, we're a country of lying and murder and theft and blasphemy. Nowadays the courts not only allow it, but the courts protect it. It's taught in all of our entertainment, it's taught and reinforced in our schools, even in the capital, immorality is just normal. It is the status quo in our country. And with all of this, most Americans believe that God loves them and God is going to welcome them into heaven even though we are, we are, we are pioneering immorality in, in many ways as a nation. So the question of, of righteousness apart from the deeds of the law isn't normally on your mind. But this is a Jewish issue. The Jews listening to Paul preach, the Jews reading this letter, when they contemplate righteousness without the law, it's not the same as you contemplating righteousness without the law. But a huge part of the audience listening to this sermon, reading this letter, they can't quite possibly fathom how it is someone can be righteous without the law. This appears to be an oxymoron. From Abraham's day in circumcision, and then later Moses' day in the giving of the law, 
The Jews for centuries have been taught how it is we stay acceptable before God by the law. Through the law, through the priesthood, daily prayer, scripture memorized, scriptures written on the doorposts of your home. This is the normal life of the Jew. And yet Paul has just told them, you cannot be justified by the deeds of the law. That doesn't make sense to the Jew. That's actually anti-sense. That's illogical to the Jew. But he has said, by even the testimony of David and Abraham, that faith is the only way to have righteousness in Christ. Faith in Christ is going to be your righteousness. So if you are a Jew, if you are truly a Jew, and you fear God, and you fear sin's death, this is their worldview, okay? This is what drives the Jew. You know God, you love God, you fear God, you fear His law, you keep His law, because you will die if you don't do so. This is the Jew's world. How do you stay safe and live as a Jew? You fear God and you keep His law. This is the life of the Jew. And for the Jew, justification cannot ignore the law. If you expect to stand before God someday and pass the bar and be granted eternal life, you cannot ignore the law. You cannot be found righteous without the law. Chapter 6 Look at what chapter 6 says, thinking like this Jew I'm, I'm helping you to see. Chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Do you see how that's a Jewish question? A Jew who's rightly understanding what is being preached in this gospel, he asks this question, well, what are you saying? Are we, are we just supposed to do whatever we want and be immoral and, and let God's grace Bring us all into heaven. Is that what you're saying, Paul? But what he says is, when you believed Christ, when you believe Christ, you're placed into his death. You're placed into the death of Christ when you believe, is what he teaches in chapter 6. 7, Chapter 7 goes on to teach that you are under the dominion of the law. You are ruled by the law while what happens? While you're alive. While you live, you're under the dominion of the law. The law has dominion while the sinner lives. But sinners who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus have died to their sin. He's explaining how faith works to the Jew. And he's saying, if you have believed in Christ, that means you believed in Him for His death, and you have died with Him, therefore you have died to the law, and the law has no dominion. The law can't rule over you anymore. The law can't kill you anymore. The law can't bring you to God in safety. The law has no power to do so. 
Chapter 7, verse 7, he asks a question on the same line. He says, is the law sin? Chapter 7, verse 7, is the law sin? The Jews now wonder, you're saying that the law can't make me righteous. You're saying that the law can't bring me to God in safety. You're saying that I can't rely on the law to make me just and righteous. So is the law sin? Is that what you're saying? No. The law is not sin. It lacks the power. It lacks the ability. It cannot... Make strong what you are inherently weak in. You are inherently a sinner. You are inherently enslaved to sin. The law cannot change that. All the law can do is expose your sin. Romans 3, 5, Romans 6, 1, and Romans 6, 15 all say don't sin so the answer to the question shall we continue in sin that grace may abound no Romans 3 5 and forward Romans 6 1 Romans 6 15 don't sin don't sin Paul does not allow for the practice of sin in his teaching of the gospel he doesn't teach you and I to ignore it and pretend it does not exist. But what is coming under the scrutiny of Paul's teaching is an aspect of the law that you and I don't particularly understand. It has to do with things like circumcision and feast days and something else is called moons, new moons in the New Testament is referred to. These are laws and regulations of Jewish life, food regulations. You can't eat certain kinds of seafood. You can't eat certain kinds of animals. You can't have certain kinds of materials in your clothing. All of these are rules and laws of Jewish life that govern their lives, and they must be kept by God-fearing Jews. Paul's saying, don't sin, and he's saying, don't serve God according to the letter Romans chapter 7, verse 6, he says, Serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Newness of the Spirit, not the oldness of the letter. We don't have to worry about things like clothing and foods and feasts. But we always need to do things like we would find in Micah 6, 6 through 8. Do justly love mercy and walk humbly with your God. You must always know the difference between right and wrong and just and unjust. Is the law sin? No. The law is not sin. The law is not your righteousness either. The law cannot give you your righteousness. The law is not sin. It is not your righteousness. Paul says in 7, he says, I delight in the law of God and my inward man. My inward person loves the law. It is right. It is glorious. Romans 7.23 says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. The law of his mind loves the law of God. The law of his body seems to be drawn to another law. It says it brings him into a captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. 
he, he finds that his own body is in a habit of sin, even almost a slave relationship to sin. Verse uh, Chapter 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Why does he call it a body of death? Because his body is continually inclined to sin. I'm, I'm in line in my body for death. My mind knows it's wrong. My mind even hates it. He says, my soul hates it. My body continues to do it. My mind and my body are not on the same team. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to save me from this sinful container that I live in? Who's going to save me from it? And he finally says in chapter 7, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord Jesus is going to save me from the body of sin. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin... And now, think in terms of the Jew again here. What Jew admits he's a sinner? What Jew can wake up in the morning and go, I'm a sinner who needs to be saved? The Jews keep the law. The Jews are righteous. The Jews do what is right. And they trust in their ability and their means of keeping this law and this rule. But one who has come to understand the gospel is Paul. One who knows the gospel knows he is a sinner who needs to be saved and imputed with righteousness by Christ. And so Paul can say, I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I'm someone who needs to completely and wholly and fully trust in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we get to chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Jew saying, I am a sinner who cannot keep the law, who will not be made righteous by the law. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, he says, in chapter 8. For those who walk according to the Spirit... Those who walk according to the Spirit. Now, what's the alternative? If you're not walking in the Spirit, you're walking in the law if you're hoping to have righteousness at the end of the age. You're walking in the law. And he says, not the law there in chapter 8. If you walk according to the Spirit and not the law. Now, this is a fork in the road for the Jew. You've got to understand how powerfully this is a Jewish argument. The Jew now is sitting here thinking, is my adherence to the law going to make me righteous? Or is Jesus Christ's perfect life and righteousness imputed to me going to be my righteousness? Now, if the Jew decides to believe in Christ as his righteousness, that means he's got to turn his back on the law. He's got to abandon his hope and his confidence in the law, and he must fully put his hope in the righteousness that would be his for trusting in the Lord Jesus. This is a dilemma for the Jew, way more than it'll ever be a dilemma for you. But you've got to understand this background and this story for you to understand the, the, the gravity of our depravity and the greatness of our hope for righteousness in Christ. How many of you wear seatbelts when you drive in your car? How many of you wear them religiously? Almost all of you. I don't. Now, when I tell you that sometimes I don't wear a seatbelt, some of you might be thinking, oh my word. 
I mean, that might, in some people's hearts, be considered a moral failing on my part. Right? It's like, you don't wear a seatbelt. I mean, it's the law. Now, there are other examples I could use. This is the most tame one I could come up with. There are many other examples I could use. But, let's say you are a religious seatbelt wearer. And I tell you, beginning tomorrow, you cannot wear them. Because you are gravely putting your life at risk by wearing a seatbelt. Do not wear them. They will end in your death by using them. Now, you who use them religiously, you get in the car, you don't even think about it. Click, it's on, and I'm sitting in the seat next door, and I'm like, take it off. Take it off, you're going to die. And, and, and if you are one of these seatbelt zealots, you're going to be like, I, I might get in a wreck and die. You will fear not wearing it. Some of you don't care, maybe. There, there are other examples like this. We could go in all sorts of realms. Let's say you become very, very confident that the mass is the way you're going to stay alive. And, and that's driven by a, a, a mixture of convictions that would have your mask on, right? It would be. And if I say, take it off, it's going to make you sick and kill you. But if you've already come to those convictions, and if you already have this mixture of if I don't wear it, I'm going to die. This is the Jew. This is the Jew who's being told, you do not need the law for your righteousness. He's like, what do you mean? There is no such thing as righteousness without the law. Paul is teaching them the law will not bring you to God with any righteousness. You must Holy, fully put your trust in the Lord Jesus if you expect to come to the end of this age and have any hope of righteousness. Righteousness cannot come from you. It will not come from you. Don't sin, but don't think you're packaging up your own righteousness to show to the king and win yourself in your glory. This is not what is going to happen. This is a Jewish dilemma. How can they make the change? How can they actually believe that what Paul is teaching is true? How can they understand it? They literally have to abandon their only previously understood means of righteousness. They don't know how. Now, you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. North Americans don't really worry about morality and law and righteousness. We forgive ourselves quicker than our mothers do. So this is not necessarily our, our normal problem. Paul says here in chapter 8, the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now for you North Americans, 
I might even call you antinomians, you people who have no law, no rules. You are in the path of the wrath of God because you are unrighteous. You are unholy. And you will come to stand before Him on the day of judgment and you need perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. But He says, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is you show any hint of your unrighteousness, immorality, whether it be in the secret quiet of your mind, the secret quiet of your heart, or out loud, invisible. Wherever it is, that's enough to condemn you. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But he says here, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. The righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of faith in Christ by the Spirit. See, listen to some of the Jews' thoughts here. Leviticus 18.5 Therefore you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he will live by them. I am the Lord. There is the Jewish confidence in the law. Again, Ezekiel 20, 21, Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profane my Sabbath. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. The Jew rightly fears being found unrighteous. They rightly fear it. They know God's wrath is against their unrighteousness. Romans 8.3 What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. You see that? Romans 8.3 What the law could not do. The law cannot make you not be a blasphemer. The law cannot make you not be a coveter. The law cannot make you not be an adulterer. The law cannot make you do that. The law is weak because of your flesh. It's an incredible dilemma. God sent His Son to condemn sin and flesh. The death of the Lord Jesus is a sinner's death. What the law could not do in that it was weak in your flesh, the law didn't need to be strong in Christ's flesh. Christ perfectly keeps all of the law. And so his death turns into a credit. A death credit. Do you need someone to die for you? Do you need a credit that can be applied to your account so that your death can be paid by somebody other than you? Is that what you need? That is what the gospel is. A death other than yours for your sin. That's what the gospel is. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. I am off. (laughs) Turn this down so when I turn it back on it doesn't hurt anybody's ears.
He's saying here in Romans chapter 8 that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the law but according to the Spirit. The Jew who wants to be found righteous can only know how that is possible when he is doing it in his flesh. Here, Paul is saying the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who do what? Who walk in the Spirit. Who believe in the righteousness of Christ. Who turn our back on our dependence on the law. Don't sin. He says, don't sin. this, This doesn't mean that sin has stopped being sin. This does mean that your righteousness is in someone else. Your righteousness is in Christ if you put your faith and your hope in Christ. Christ will save you. Who will save me from this body of sin? I thank God through Christ Jesus the Lord. That's what he said. Christ will save you. There is no condemnation if you will trust Christ. Isn't it a glorious hope? Death, death is done. Death is done. Another thing he says in Romans chapter 8, he says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now the Jew wants to live. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This doesn't mean that when you become converted, you have to stop sinning. It means you must live by faith. And the sins that deserve death are died in Christ. If by the Spirit... If you will reckon your punishment that is worthy from from your sin, if you reckon that on Christ, if Christ has died for your sin, if Christ is the source of your righteousness, you will live. Remember, he says, don't sin. Christians, don't sin. But when you sin, what do we do? We repent. We ask God's forgiveness for it. We praise God that there's been a a payment made for it in the death of Christ. He says you will live. Jew, you will live. Jew, who you have turned your back on the law, you put your trust explicitly in Christ, you will live. You will live. You will live life eternally by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, in the Spirit, you are heirs. If you put your faith in Christ, you are heirs. That means you're inheritors. Joint heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs in the Lord Jesus by putting your faith and hope and trust in Christ. Don't fear. Don't fear death because you're not Keepers of the law now. Expect life because you are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Now, 
One more reason that this is a scary and, and, and intimidating thing for the Jew to do is when the Jew leaves the law and joins himself to Christ and the church, what do the other Jews think? How do the rest of the Jews treat you as somebody who now says, it's okay if you don't get circumcised. It's okay if you skip the feasts. It's okay if you don't bring sacrifices to the temple. What do those Jews think about you? Do they love you or do they hate you? They hate you. They think you've betrayed them. They think you've denied the faith of the, of the fathers. And so you have been ostracized by putting your faith in Christ. You lose your family. You lose your church. Synagogue is probably the best word for it. You lose all of that. You lose your safety net. The people who would come to help you if your house fell down or if you ran out of money or if you were really sick, you lose it because now you are no longer part of that Jewish group anymore. So now you understand a little bit better when we're reading in Romans chapter 8 about help from the Spirit, by the Spirit, in our weaknesses. The fear that is in the heart of the Jew who is now leaving the comfort of hundreds of years of comfort and tradition and now trusting in Christ, the one that the Jews hate, the one that the Jews crucify, the one that the Jews will not accept. When you put your faith and trust in Him as your sole means of righteousness, there are many opportunities for your fear, many opportunities for your weakness, many opportunities for you to have needs that you do not know how to meet. You do not know how to solve those problems. The Spirit intercedes. This entire scope of, of Romans from, from 5 all the way through to 8 where we are right now. 8.18 said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. Why is he telling these Jewish and non-Jewish Christians, don't worry about the sufferings, but instead think about the glory that is going to be revealed. They are truly facing hardships and difficulties for having put their trust and their hope in Christ. He says, look ahead to what is ahead of us. Don't worry about Don't focus on these things that are threatening us right on our horizon. Verse 26 said, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he finally begins in verse 28. Now listen how he continues this. And as we're wrapping this up, he says, We know all things work together for good to those who love God. Now those are the ones who have left their dependence on the law. He's reassuring them. He's saying, look, set your feet in this path. Put your eyes on Christ. Set your feet in this path of being led by Him no matter what the threat is, no matter what the sufferings are, you fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And then he goes into a section that we'll hit next week. The life of you who know who the Savior is, leave 
whatever source of justification you thought you had or you thought you were pursuing, Christ is your justification. Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your hope. Christ is your glory. You walk with Him. You put your faith in Him. And you walk away from everything else. And His Spirit intercedes and helps in our weaknesses. And we know and we trust that God is at work in all things and all ways together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We will pick this up and make some more progress on this next week. Let's uh, just thank the Lord together. My Father in Heaven, I thank You, Lord, for Your Word that speaks such a strong hope of righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We thank You for the Gospel. We thank You for the hope of eternal life to God. May, may those who have learned to fear Your name, may those who have learned to dread our own unrighteousness, O oh God, may we Learn even more today how to find hope and comfort in Christ. In His great name we pray. Amen.